0: Or you can keep standing. I'm good either way. I got to stand, so, you know, it's good. So today, we're going to talk about marriage. I know that doesn't apply to everybody. Some of you guys aren't ready for that yet, right? That's good. Take your time. It's all good. Some of you think you're ready, and you've been married 10 years. So... um, You know, this whole series is about how Jesus Christ is enough. And in fact, the whole premise of ordinary faith is simply this, that there is a faith that works in every ordinary moment of life. That It it doesn't take a superstar to be a Christian. You don't have to be a super spiritual saint. Jesus Christ takes care of all of that. The whole book of Colossians is about how he's enough. And... So, to be honest with you, my wife and I, we have this passion for marriage. So, part of me is really excited about talking about this today, and it's really, I'm going to use it as an introduction to a series that's coming in September. But I also have a great deal of trepidation. I'm a little nervous. Because I also know that there's so many different views on how people should be married, and many of those are not informed by God's Word. So, I've got, I got to be straight with you from the beginning. That's where my opinion's coming from. I, I believe what God says especially when I disagree with Him. I, I believe what God says. And so as we, we dig into marriage today, we're going to talk about how that, we look at consider how that Jesus Christ is actually enough for marriage, for your relationship with your spouse. Some of you are younger, and you're, you're like, well, I'm not married yet. I wish I could sit down with you about 10 years old and start getting you ready for being married, because that's when you really need to start, you know, or 12 or something like that. Um, and the world has no idea, your peers have no idea how to have a a great marriage. I'm not insulting your peers, I'm just laying it out straight, okay? And so today we're going to talk about how Jesus transforms a marriage. Now everybody has an idea how you should be married, right? I polled some five-year-olds and ten-year-olds myself to kind of get a look, you know, wisdom and children. I got some advice, you want to hear it? (laughs) Top five marriage tips from kids. Alan, age 10. I don't know much about Alan, but I tell you what he says. says a lot about Alan's dad. Find somebody who likes the same stuff as you. Like, if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports. (laughs) And she should keep the chips and dip coming. (laughs) I love it. Like I said, I don't know much about Alan, but Alan's dad's in trouble a lot. Lynette, age 8, said dates are are for fun, and people should use them to get to know each other before they get married. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. (laughs) Anita, age 9, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. (laughs) I got an amen on that one. Sweet. Camille, age 10. The best age to get married is 23, because you know the person forever by then. And marriage tip number one, drum roll, I wish I had Justin up here, drum drum roll, all right. Marriage tip number one from Ricky, age 10, tell your wife she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty great, huh? Out of the mouths of babes, isn't that how the expression goes? So today we're going to look at Colossians, we're going to uh, dig into what God says about marriage, what Paul says about marriage, or God says through Paul. Um, I'll, I'll warn you, the Bible students in the room know that uh, modern conceptions are about to get challenged, and uh, so before we, I just want to warn you that God looks at things differently than we do, and I guess that's not really a warning, it's just the way it is. So let's start with this idea. Marriage was created by God. Marriage was created by God. Now, uh, this might be a really challenging idea for some to think about this. Because when we say marriage is created by God, what we're doing is theologically and intellectually, we're placing God as the source of all things. And that's what a, a creationist view of the world gives you, by the way. That when you say, opposite of what the world says, that in the beginning there was God, the world says in the beginning there was nothing, Bible says in the beginning there was God. When you say in the beginning there was God, you are saying that there's a source for all things, and the source has a name, the Bible says that name is God. So God created this thing, or God creates this thing called marriage, and so I guess the first question before we even dig into that is is this question, I mean, where do you get your ideas about how life should be lived? Where where do you get your ideas about what marriage should look like, whether you're married or not? You could be young, single, uh, divorced, what have you, widow, widower. Where do you get your ideas about what marriage should be? Where do those come from? They come from, you know, those those pop science, uh, psychologists on TV, the Dr. Phil's that are out there. And no offense against those guys. I'm just saying, where do they come from? Do they come from books? Do they come from modern thinking? Do they come from your peers? In my experience, what normally happens in somebody's life is they get their, all their ideas about how life should work from a set of peers in a given period of their life. And they're influenced by... Not doctors or experts or theologians or the Bible. They're influenced by conversations of people they just hang out with, whether they work with. Those, those people could have failed relationships. They could be ruined financially. But that's who will shape their opinions just by virtue of the fact they hang out with them. And so you got to ask yourself, what's going to inform my opinion? Now, I already said this, but I'll say it again. At Ordering of Faith, we believe that the Bible, God's Word, is our source for truth. Hey, let's try it again. Let me try it one more time, one more time. We believe that the Bible, God's word, is our source for truth. Amen. Amen, that's true. Now, if I disagree with the Bible, I'm wrong, Bible's right. If you're reading the Bible and it is not creating moral dilemmas for you, You are not reading the Bible. Amen. Okay? Why I say that is because we live in a world that's like pick and choose. There was a Babylon Bee, which is a a satirical website on Facebook that I love so much. But anyway, that's another story and a bad illustration. But they put out a few weeks ago an ad for a new Bible that you could just erase the parts you didn't like. (laughs) You know... I don't know if people go so far as to cut out the parts of the Bible that they don't like. But I do know this. We tend to read the Bible and only pay attention to the parts that we do like. I mean, if it won't fit on a meme and go on our Facebook page and people, Oh, Sally's so spiritual. (laughs) I just wish I could be like her. Um, Then we're not interested. So every now and then I like to post those really weird passages, you know. (laughs) Never mind. I I better stop right there. (laughs) Out of Song of Solomons. Uh, Anyway. Where did marriage come from? So let's take a look at where marriage came from. So uh, Genesis, not Galatians, Genesis. Genesis, chapter 2, verse 23. Adam's in the garden. God notices every woman on the planet since Eve has realized. God noticed that it was not a good idea for Adam to be alone. He'd already given him some jobs. Adam had... All the time, he had this time, he had assignments, all these things, and, and it was great. It was, it was, it was, it was actually not good. So what God said. God said, it's, it's not good for this guy to be alone. And any mama boys can agree, amen to that, right? <laughs> so God creates Eve. Bring, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die on this microphone stand right here, but it's okay. Brings Eve to Adam, and Adam says this, At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone, and flesh from my flesh, she will be called woman, because she was taken from man at last. So Adam, the first time he saw you, basically said, dude, that's awesome. She's fantastic. And every guy in the room that has a, a bride knows how that feels, to see someone and feel that way. So God's commentary on this is in verse 24 of Genesis chapter 2. And it says, this explains why man leaves his father and mother and his." joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is where this is where marriage came from. Just in case you thought it was like a cultural design like people people woke up one day and said, "Hey, I should just pick one person and stick with them forever." That wasn't that that isn't even how humanity thinks. We don't even think that long term. God is the one who showed up and said, "Hey, I'm going to make a man, I'm going to make a woman, I'm going to make them for each other. They're going to be two halves of a whole." The two will be one. And that's what marriage is. Marriage is not two lives in cohabitation trying to figure it out. Marriage is one life where two people are trying to figure out how to be one. Does that make sense? Give me a nod if that makes, makes sense. Okay? If you look at marriage that way, because if if you continue to look at marriage as two independent people trying to cohabitate and survive together, you're going to be continually frustrated, and worst of all, what it's going to be is your marriage is always going to be about you, what I'm getting out of it. But when you realize that marriage is not two people just coming together to figure out, you realize marriage is one person with two two parts, bound together in a third part, which is God... Then I become, to, uh, to, uh, or come to a place where I'm pouring into something rather than pulling out of. Make sense? So, beginning, idea is simply this. God created marriage. His idea, not, not a convenience of culture. Something God came up with. Make sense? Say amen, even if you don't like it. Amen. The next part you probably won't like. <clears throat> then... Here's my question. If marriage came from God, he designed it, he figured out how it should be, who are we to redefine it? Sobering question, right? Especially in the world in which I live. Now, I want to be really loving and truthful at the same time. We live in a world that's very confused. You're going to be in a lot of conversations Were things that 30 years ago were were completely assumed as common sense are now up for debate. So here's my question I gotta pose to you, and I'm not doing this to be a jerk or to just be a sexist or old fashioned. I just gotta come back to where I started. Who defines what marriage should be like for you? Because if you're like the classic American, here's how you define your truth, your morality. Whatever makes me happy. That's the postmodern experiential theology that we all live under today. And you can pretend like you're not affected by it all you want, but the truth is, we as Americans live in a general assumption if it doesn't make you happy, it's wrong. And if it does make you happy, it's right. And then we, because we don't want to come off as total narcissistic jerks and self-centered jerks, we, we, we say, but as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. That's our little tag. And anything you, that makes you happy is, is good, is truth, as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. And that's great, right up to the point that it's either hurt someone else or make you happy, and then the last tag gets dropped. That's the problem with the postmodern relevant truth-based culture is that we're going to live our lives just trying to make us happy. The problem is, in addition to that, is you, when you get into God's word, you see that God shows you a way to live that brings you to happiness and brings you to joy that is dead opposite of everything your peers, your Facebook feed, the books are telling you. Does that make sense? I know you're sitting there going, what's he trying to do? He's kind of scaring me. Oh, we ain't even close to scared yet. <laughs> I also want to throw this out there for, for you guys who, who are Christians. You've been Christians for a long time. It is so easy to get into that judgmental place that you stand and look at the situation in the world, the confusion about relationships and marriage, and stand in Judgment. And I, I just want to say to you, out of pure love, stop it. Right. Seriously, stop it. And why? Guys, think about it for a second. We got a whole generation. We're actually two to three generations in right now of kids who grew up without any moral instruction, without two parents, without any way to even know what's true. Right. And now we are into a generation on the planet that doesn't know life without a smartphone. Think about that for a few minutes. I could crack a joke right now about rotary phones and about a third of you would laugh. The rest of you would go like, what's that? Right? The world is changing. So rather than standing in judgment of a generation who doesn't know what you know, man, now more than ever, we need to step in, uh, in acceptance of people, love them, and that's the only way we'll ever help people come to know the truth, is by accepting them. I'm not saying you got to accept things that are wrong and say they're right. That's, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying you change people more by acceptance than you do by judgment. Does that make sense? You with me, church? Amen. You all in the house? Amen. Oh, me. I wish you'd get off my toes, whatever. God says this, though, so in Romans 3. Let God be true and every man be a liar. Every human being being a liar. Sorry, I memorized that of King James, obviously, many years ago. God's right. I'm wrong. That's our beginning. I want to give you a quote. I'm sorry about the size of this print, but um, I'm going to have to read it off screen. (laughs) The problem in our marriages is not, first, that we don't love one another enough. No, the problem is that we don't love God enough. And because we don't love God enough, we don't love one another as we should. Paul Tripp, and I think it's a, a great quote. So there, what I've started to try and do is put marriage on in, in a foundation for you that comes from God, that puts it hopefully in a place of humility for us so that we can say, I need to learn from him rather than I know how to do this, how to be married, how to be a wife, how to be a husband. Now, I'm gonna get into a text that I just love to get, I really wanted Michael to get into this text. <laughs> That's how much I love this text. So, uh, I'm just kidding. Someone came up to me before church and said, "Oh, you're going to talk about submission today? Yo, sick 'em!" And I'm like, uh, "Right." <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It wasn't quite like that. I might be making a joke out of it. So, Colossians three eighteen nineteen. Uh, let's read. It. I'm going to read it for you. Wives, submit to your own to your husbands, as is for, fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Now, here's what you're probably doing. All the wives are going that husband of mine really needs to learn to love. And all the guys are going, that wife of mine really needs to learn to listen. Now, maybe that's not going on. I mean, did you just look at each other when I read that? <laughs> Was there like that cyber glance? You need to listen today. I, the, one of the reasons I, I struggle, I don't, I don't know if struggle is the right word, I, just, I come at it with a, a bit of humility talking about submission is because of what submission means today. Uh, the idea of submission, uh, you, you're, you're thinking more like MMA type stuff, where you put someone in a headlock and they, oh, you're going to submit to me, and that's kind of how we think of it. Or are there far darker definitions that might be rolling around your head? Also, I've got multiple generations on the planet now that come from abusive homes, have been in abusive relationships, and, and they're coming out of those going, I am never going to leave myself unprotected again. And that... Is a, a good idea to, to be in a protected situation. That is not what Paul's talking about, okay? And so I'm, I may say this again in the message, but I just want to make it crystal clear from the beginning. If you are in an abusive relationship, get out. I, I'm not going to stand here and tell you to stay in a place that's unsafe, get help, and don't, just don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about today. You say amen. amen. You got me? The church has got a bad rep. We've we've talked about submission, but we haven't talked about how that God gave us also responsibility to be for our own lives and to care for ourselves and make sure our children are safe and our hearts are safe. So I don't want you in a physically or even verbally abusive home. And if I can help, you let me know. Numbers 371-4853. Send me a text. I will help. Okay? Got me? Straight up. So, let's jump into this passage in Colossians 3.18, and let's start with this idea. Wives must respect the leadership of their husbands. Now, I'm glad I'm not a wife, because I know a lot of husbands. <laughs> what's, what's he trying to sell it? What's Paul doing? By the way, I am setting up, Christy and I together are going to do a marriage series on, uh, in September. We've been working on it for the last month, we're very excited about it. And uh, we have found biblical principle to be the best thing in the world, and we feel as though we have a great marriage, uh, and we want people to have a great marriage. So when Paul comes out and says things like, wives, submit your husbands, that can be a freaky thing in our culture, okay? Now, some of you who are in older generations, you're going to, and, and you're in good marriages, and you're like, well, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense, what, so forth. But what does it mean? How can I stretch, stretch that out so it makes more sense? First of all, let's set this in the culture it's coming from. It was, Paul is talking to a culture that's very sexist at the time. I mean, women had like, no authority in their homes. The kids had no authority. The head of household in the Roman Greco era had absolute authority. Could do whatever he wanted. He was the only one who could vote. He's the only one with citizenship. He, he controlled everything. So if you think about that context and that setting, here's Paul writing to uh, the women in the church at Colossians. He's saying, he's telling them to submit their husbands. And I want you to think for a second the implications of that statement. Wives submit your husbands? When he says that, he's saying to them, hey, choose something. He, he is implying freedom. Does that make sense? He's, by, by the command, he's implying freedom to them. So I want to give you a new definition to think of submission from. Think of submission this way, based on the Greek word, as a modest, cooperative demeanor that puts others first. Modest, cooperative demeanor that puts others first. I'll give you another scripture. You see, Jesus submitted to God the Father. The Bible says this in Ephesians 5.21, to the married couples, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, there is an atmosphere of mutual submission in the home. And so Paul comes along to the wives in Colossians who are new Christians who are in a pagan culture. And, they, and he's telling them don't be at the mercy of your culture. Choose, choose that empowers. Choose to let your husband lead. Let your husband lead. That's why wives submit to your husbands. That would be a great way for us to interpret what's going on. Let your husband lead. Now I know you're sitting there going, well, he's not very smart. <laughs> I've worked a lot of jobs in my short life. Um, managed businesses, worked for owner-operators. I've worked in places of leadership, and I've worked as a leader under a leader. You ever done that? any of you guys work as a leader under a leader give me a nod how did that guy that's your leader get to be your leader was it because he was the most qualified sometimes but some of you guys in the room know what i'm talking about i have worked for people who had no idea what i did i have managed people who i had no idea what they did they were leaders of their area but i was responsible over them and that's what Leadership is. Leadership is responsibility, but I'll get to that in a minute when I talk to the guys. I just want you to understand when the Bible says, wives, submit your husbands, let them lead. He's not saying you're less than them. He's not saying that. Not saying that you're less significant. It's not a sexist statement at all. What God is saying is this. I made your husband like this, and I made you like that, and I made you to fit together. And I put him in the leadership role. I picked him for that. I didn't pick him because he's the most qualified, because he was the smartest. How many of you guys are smarter than your boss? No, don't raise your hands. (laughs) He said, this is how I designed it. And he designed it that way because of the way he made men and the way he made women. And so, if you want to have, if you want to move your marriage from a place of difficulty, then let your husband lead, just, just because God says so. There's a lot of implications of this passage, a lot of ways to think about it, and uh, as, I, as I chew on it, I just want to throw out there this. this. <laughs> Letting your husband lead doesn't depend on your husband's ability to lead. Um, in fact, your home, could, your husband could be a, t- a terrible leader, but if you are a great wife, you can make him into, you can help him become someone so much better than he would have opportunity to be without you. In fact, that's that's me. That's a result of me. My, my wife has made our marriage so much better because of her her not just her contribution, but her influence on my life. I, I don't know. I, sometimes I want to just tell ladies, man, just, this is how your husband feels. And right now, I'm like. I can't tell you the moments in my life I have looked at my wife and gone, and it's like, she is so much better than me. She is so much more than me. But God has used her in my life. So, and she has been one who has let me lead, and I have led us down some weird paths. <laughs> she is a mama's girl, so loves her mother, and she left her mother and followed me to Colorado to plant a church and then on to Wyoming. It's cost her a lot to do that. But she did it because Jesus said this is the best way to do it. That's why. So, I just want you to know you letting your husband lead isn't about him. It's about you and I'll tell you why. There's another point at the end that pulls us together. So, wives let your husband lead. Husbands, Paul says to you, love your wives and never treat them harshly. So, let your husbands lead. Love her well. Let your husband lead, love her well. That's where the synergy comes in. I've, I'm always amazed most marital problems are reactions and responses. It's, it's usually based in our wounds, you know, we're insecure about something and our spouse sets us off and then the, the, the discussion, is that what you call it in your house, the discussion begins and the neighbors are like, hey, do we need to call the cops? So God gives you, you guys a job, and that's that to, to lead and to, to love her and, and to, uh, to bring her into, to bring your family, to lead your family into a, a place that, that is for Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of the task there. Um, then he says something in, at the end of the text. I'm going to jump around. Hannah, you might have to help me with my slides because I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit. But he says, Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Husbands, love your wives, never treat them harshly. And so, of course, yes, you shouldn't, like, yell at her or be mean to her or belittle her or any of those kinds of things. But it means more than that. This never treat them harshly also means uh, don't get embittered toward her. Don't resent her. You know, as guys, we, uh, a lot of women don't get this, but we guys, we really are about respect. I mean, we. you know what I mean by that? I mean, guys are, uh, well, first of all, have you ever heard a guy conversation that there were actually no words in? Just grunting. <clears throat> uh, mm. I had eight sons, man. There were like ten years of my life was just grunting. <laughs> Some of them are here today. But for men, it's 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 about respect, and we're always we need respect. We want to be respected. We do things to get respect. We're driven by this thing called respect. Well, women don't think that way. They think in nature of, of love, and and uh, women have a need for emotional support. And so what happens is a lot of times. You marry a woman, and when you marry her, she, she doesn't understand the idea of respect, and so you, you, you begin to, uh, your relationship begins to build up, uh, for lack of a better word, crap. Offenses. I know, I said it in church. Sorry, I'm just going to do this. I call it the crap cart. I just, when I do marriage counseling, that's the question I ask. How's your, mouth, how's your crap cart going, you know? Because you get married and what happens is you start throwing crap in the back and then you pretend like it's not there and act like it doesn't stink, you know? That, that's how you, you do your marriage. Oh, we're so so happy together. Love each other so much. Well, part of the crap for, for men is, is, is these little things of disrespect. You know, and, and, and it's, we live in a culture that's like really disrespectful to men. It's really cool to make fun of men today. Entire sitcoms are built on the concept that Men are stupid. Now, now men, men aren't stupid. We're not. I mean, we're simple. I mean, like, I mean women are like the Internet superhighway. <clears throat> men are like Pong. Boop. <laughs> Boop. <laughs> but that doesn't mean we're stupid. It's just how we process things, how we do things. We're like one task oriented. Women are multitaskers and all those kind of things. And So so when you, when you say things that make men feel stupid or make fun of men, it, that's not healthy and men take that as a disrespect. It puts crap in the cart and you, you end up with a relationship. Men, Paul says don't treat them harshly. What's going on is you get embittered. She doesn't respect me. On the other side of the equation, she's going well he doesn't love me. I love the Edgar Rich's book, Love and Respect. It's one, been one of the most helpful to me as a pastor and as a a husband, uh, he suggests in that book that when something hits you off, that you you just say it. My wife might say to me, what you said, what you did, it felt unloving. And I might say to her, what you said, what you did, it felt disrespectful. It was very helpful to us. So from a man's perspective, our job is to love her. How do we do that? How do we love her? Do we sit around and hold her all the time and tell her how much we love her? Uh, That might be a good start for some of you guys. (laughs) My husband hasn't told me he loved me since we got married. Well, if anything would have changed, I'd have let her know. (laughs) It might be a good start. But obviously Jesus said uh, in Ephesians, he said that my slides changed a lot slower than I think. You should love her as Christ loved the church, and he gave up his life for her. What God's doing in this text, I, I got, I'm, I'm just like so out of time already, is God is saying to the wives, give your husband, give your husband this biblical view of submission. And to the husbands, he's saying, give your wife love. Give, it's giving. It's giving. If you approach your marriage to get, I need to get my needs met, I need to get this out of this, I need to get. If you approach from that, you're always gonna be an independent individual, and you're always gonna be lacking, and you're always gonna be manipulating your partner to get what you need. But if you flip it around, and you stop trying to get, and you start trying to give, and you give your wife love, and you put her above yourself, and you give your husband respect, and you put his needs above your own, then you begin to pour in and when you pour in you create a synergy you begin to multiply the giving because god does that when we give there's a multiplication an exponential principle that kicks into play we begin to pour into our marriages then we start moving toward a better marriage a good marriage i think every marriage should be great i think that's the vow you're making by the way um We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But I think when you stand up there and say, I promise, I vow to love, honor, to, to protect, to cherish, I think what you're really saying is, I vow to have a great marriage no matter how long or how much it takes. I think that's what you're really vowing. But that's, that's me, and I take marriage incredibly seriously because in my life it's been incredibly rewarding. So, now... Talk to the women a little bit, made them feel awkward. Talked to the men a little bit, made them feel awkward. What's the whole point of being married? To feel good, to have your happily ever after, to ride off into the sunset, to look each other googly-eyed for the rest of your life. All that's kind of possible, by the way. I'm just going to say that uh, my wife and I never got past the petting stage. I'm proud of that. She rubs me behind the ears. Come on. <laughs> What's the point of being married? Marriage is meant to make husbands and wives more like Jesus. You see, that's what this whole Christian Christian life is about. It's, it's, it, it's not about you. I know that's really hard to digest. Because I'm in a world where it's all about me. My phone is even made to just take pictures of me. It's me, here I am here, I'm over here. I don't know where this is coming from today. I'm just feeling, I'm going on vacation tomorrow, so I might be a little ornery. That might be what it is. <laughs> this is about making you like more like Jesus because Jesus is enough, not you. I, I, I'm not trying to just stick a fork in you. I'm just saying Jesus is enough, not you. And that's why you feel so empty because you're trying to be enough in you. That's why your marriage is working in bankruptcy is why you're struggling in relationships even whether it's friendships or what have you it's because you're 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 just looking at you so so let that go the point of marriage isn't you the point of marriage isn't you it isn't the marriage isn't about the happily ever after i think you can have it oh yes i do i believe god can give it to you if you will follow god's counsel i believe your marriage can be amazing but that's not the point the point of your marriage is jesus christ God put you with the person you're with, and, and I, I don't know, you may be with like the most awesome spouse ever, and you may be with the most terrible spouse ever, I, I don't know, but I do know this, if you're with that person, you made a vow to that person, that person is in your life to make you like Jesus. Now they might be like a really fine grit sandpaper, and just really gentle, and forming you into Jesus, or they might be like a sandblaster, blowing you into the shape of Jesus, but either way, they're what you need, <laughs> Like great this is what i need. Now what you need is Jesus and to be like him. And you will be amazed to find. You really would be amazed to find that as you pursue him and as you learn to love him how much he will change either your circumstances that happens. Most likely he will change you. As we become like Jesus then we are transformed. We become better spouses, better husbands, better wives. And there was something else I wanted to say there, and it totally slipped out of my head. I hate it when that happens. So as you become like Jesus Christ, as we take off our unloving attitudes, get rid of those selfish actions, and begin begin to move into a relationship with love and humility, the same kind of relationship Jesus demonstrated when he came to earth, Then we begin to, our marriage begins to transform. Our lives begin to transform. And who we are begins to to look so much more like Jesus Christ. So as we think about that transformation of a marriage, let me close with this idea. I don't want you to leave here today with your finger out and your judgment on. If you're sitting there right now going, man, I hope she heard that. Or I hope he heard that. You really missed the message, okay? I'm not trying to beat you up, but this is about you being confronted with a simple text, two verses, about what it looks like in God's mind for a couple to be together and accepting your responsibility and and moving into that. If you're in a relationship where you have to demand your rights, something's wrong. You know that, right? I mean, if you're having to tell your wife, hey, listen to me, something's wrong, and it's probably not her. If you're having to tell your husband, you need to love me, or I want you to love me, something's wrong. I'm sure he's got problems. I'm sure you have problems. But I like to, I like to coach people to fix the problem that they can deal with most immediately, and that is themselves. And the the quickest solution to this transformation and the quickest path to a a good marriage is not in changing the other person or your kids or whoever you're trying to control. It's always in submission to Christ. It's always that simple realization. Jesus is enough. And and if I could speak to to those marriages for that second. Don't give up. Don't give up. Sometimes in marriage, guys, just as a pastor here, just as a friend, sometimes in marriage you just got to stick it out a little while and things break. Sometimes you really have to work on you. You really have to look at you because the chances are that your marital problems are your spouse's reaction to you. And you begin to Come to Jesus, say Jesus. What do I need to change? Where do you need? What what am I, and in my life, you guys are you guys are two parts of one thing, okay? It isn't all about him, and it isn't all about you. It's about us, wrapped in him. It takes three to make a marriage. I'm sure you've heard that before. And so wherever you're at in your relationship, I really want to say something to you guys who aren't married yet but that's beyond my scope wherever you're at in your relationship don't give up today go to jesus today take this this text wives submit to your husbands husbands love your wives look at it together talk about it. in fact here's here's how here's how i would discuss it if i were you i would i would ask my wife are there ways that i could love you better I would ask my husband, are there ways I could give you respect? And then I would try to listen to the answer, and that's the hard part. The hard part of marriage is not talking, it's, it's listening. It's hearing another person's heart. And, and one more totally free thing, totally free. <laughs> we really do need to start talking to each other. Most of these challenges in our marriages are because we are simply not communicating. It's not in the vow I vow to read her mind. I vow to totally figure out all of his idiosyncrasies. It, it's not there. Guys, if you don't talk to her, if you don't say, hey, I love you. What you just did made me feel like a kid. Please don't do that again. That, that, you're like, well, I'm not saying that. She'll get mad. You can have an intense conversation and resolve something Or you can pretend like your crap don't stink. Did that hit home? Sometimes I'm a little country. (laughs) My point is simply this so many, so many unspoken expectations in our relationships. Man, if we could just learn. One, Jesus is enough. Depend on him for the courage to bring up the tough subject and the timing. but also to lean on him because he designed marriage. He knows how it works. And he's making me like him. So yeah, I may get into tense circumstances. I may have some really moments of real conflict. The goal isn't to make me better or my marriage better. The goal is to become like him and that's what makes everything better. Make sense? let our heads. <coughs> the worship team could come up Father, I want to I want to lift up the marriages in this room. Lord, I like want to go on a war right now, Father. I hate the spirit of divorce. I hate that spirit that breaks up hearts and separates people and wounds them in the deepest places. I hate it. Lord, I I know that the enemy goes to work at a young age, trying to make us fail. I also know that I did everything wrong when I started my marriage, and you showed up and somehow fixed everything. I know you're the answer, And, and I know that there are men and women in this room who are broken, who are hurt, who are divorced, who are getting ready to be married, who are married, and Just a lot of brokenness, a lot of pain. And when you start talking about marriage, we have this desperation that we need to know and we have this fear. (laughs) And so, Lord, I know the enemy can take anything I said today and the the distracted moments and wound anyone. I know that. But, Lord, you're bigger than he is. And your spirit is stronger. And so I ask as you walk this room, as you weave in among your people, and those who are open to you today. Would you touch us? Touch the relationships in this room. Would you speak into them? Speak into them love and wholeness and restoration. Would you remove the fear of failure? Remove the guilt and the worry and the anxiety? And would you replace it father with a, with purpose with 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 wisdom with with jesus because he 's perfect in wisdom, and would you put in there that love from God that accepts that pulls close? would you help us as men to know what it really means to love our wives because we really think it 's to respect them like we would of another fellow and, and it 's not working. <laughs> would you help our the wives in this room to know what it means to to respect their husbands. And begin, Lord, to open up this unity, this synergy of men and women committed to each other, built on a commitment to God. And I pray, Lord, that you would protect those relationships, protect the kids, that you would put a generation forward that aren't broken by this, lost relationships, but are restored as people begin to see what faith can do in a marriage. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, let's stand. Hey, I'm sucking. I'm really wet. <laughs> love you, man. Jackie and I are having our twenty-fourth anniversary Okay. We would like you to renew our house. Okay. Alright, yeah. Just give me the date, buddy. I'd love to. That'd be good. Alright, thanks.